Welcome to the Begin the Begin podcast. My name is Jeff Hillemeyer, and I'm on a mission to find out what makes people tick. Not just anyone, people who are making a profound impact on the world. I want to dig into their origin story and get to the root of why and how they do what they do. I hope you are as inspired coming out of these conversations as I am. Let's get into it. All right, on this episode, you guys, I had to have a conversation with Fred Castellucci, who has some of the best restaurants in Atlanta, to hear how his story may or may not have been similar to what is becoming probably one of my top favorite TV shows of all time, The Bear. So if you haven't watched The Bear, you should hit pause and go change your life. (laughs) It's two seasons. I absolutely love it. It's a little too stressful for some people, but for me, it was just the the acting, the storytelling, the writing. I mean, I'm obsessed with it. So I had to have this conversation with Fred. If you're an Atlanta resident, you'll know his restaurants. Um, He's just one of the greatest guys. So hope you enjoy. All right. I'm here with my buddy, Fred. I cannot wait to get into this conversation. I have wanted to talk to him about the bear for a few months now, finally got him on the podcast. But before we get started, Fred, could you tell everybody who you are and what you do? Uh, so my name is Fred Castellucci. I'm a restaurateur. Uh, we have a collection of restaurants, mostly in Atlanta, uh, but one in Nashville. Uh, the brands include Iberian Pig, Double Zero, uh, Mujo, uh, Cooks and Soldiers, and Sugo. And then we also um, are involved in a fast casual con- concept called Recess as well. So think that covers all the restaurants. I think it covers just about everybody's favorite Atlanta restaurants as well. Usually when I mention you or your group, everyone's got one of the favorites. Um, most of the time I, I hear Iberian pig. That's, that's the, the usual for me. Yeah. Well, I think we also cover, you know, two large parts of the city between Decatur and Buckhead. And then we also have Nashville. And so it just, it's a concept that speaks to a lot of people and we also serve a lot of people there. So that would make sense. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, it's funny. I mentioned you in my one of my recent Purpose Group newsletter updates because of the book, uh, Unreasonable Hospitality, which we'll talk about, which you told me to read a while ago. Um, and I looked up the word restaurateur, but it seemed like most of the time there's no N in restaurateur, restaurateur. Right. Is that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> that's That surprised me. It's misspelled frequently. It definitely surprised me the first time that I did that too. <laughs> okay, good. Um, and I have to ask, um, they shot some of the HBO series, The Watchmen, in front of Iberian Pig, right? They did. They did, yes. Have they been shooting again? Have they done the next season? or? I don't think so. Okay. Um, but that was pretty uh, epic to watch that uh, show go down and where the final scene of like the you know, climax of this whole series is right in front of the restaurant. And and you knew it was coming. I was watching it going, wait a minute, that's Iberian pig. <laughs> yeah. And cool. I don't even think they covered up the signage at all, did they? I don't think so. No. Yeah. yeah. It, it was pretty awesome. And it made me wonder, like, have there been other movies or shows shot in any of your restaurants? Well, yeah, there's another uh, one that Charlie Day romantic comedy movie on Amazon that was shot right in front of Hyperion Pig, too. So, oh, yeah, uh, people love the Decatur Square uh, for movies. So we definitely have seen a lot there. And and then um, one more question, then we'll get into the meat, uh, no pun intended, of this podcast. But I was curious, like, 
I'm I'm guessing lots of stars have eaten in your restaurants because so many people shoot movies here. Do you get like a call? Does do this your the person running the restaurant that day go, Fred, you got to come over. So and so's here. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's every it, it, there's a gamut. So uh you have on the 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 most kind of discreet where the security person of that person calls us and say, hey, so-and-so wants to come in. Can you make a reservation? Or, you know, they try to work it out ahead of time. They have an exit plan, an entrance plan. So you have it like the most intense like security all the way. Like, and so an example of that was like Robert Downey Jr. when he was doing the um one of the action movies with Charlotte Joe or Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. Uh, so that was like where they wanted to make sure they had taken a look at the entire restaurant and the exits and entrances, all that stuff. And then on the other side, you have someone like Jason Bateman who makes a reservation under his own name, walks up to the host stand and says reservation under Bateman. And then my, my wife was actually working the host stand that night. This was years ago. He's, she's like, yeah, Jason, Jason Bateman. She looks up. She's like, oh yeah, Jason Bateman, you know? So <laughs> there's, there's definitely a, uh, a wide spectrum with celebrities. Holy cow. Who's the most famous person that you can recall that's been at one of your restaurants? Um, I think it's gotta be RDJ yeah, and huge. Scarlett Johansson. I mean, the, the combo of those two is pretty yeah, epic. Yeah, that's pretty huge. We've um, had a lot of requests for Mujo that we've just haven't been able to fill because the reservations sell out and then they're just we wait for cancellations but um yeah we had we like scarlett johansson wanted to come back go go to mujo but we didn't have availability so no way you and you don't think you didn't think to ask one of the people who did have a reservation and say hey i can get you a signed picture or something from her so so actually i did um and it was somebody uh you probably know greg benoit Uh He was dying there that night and I texted Greg and I was like, Hey, Greg, um, who are you coming with tonight? Cause they had a four top. So no, never responded to my text. And then I went in that night and I was like, dude, you could have been having dinner with Scarlett Johansson and uh, Colin Joe's tonight, but you, uh, you didn't respond to my text message. Oh oh man. I'm going to always make sure I check your, your messages. (laughs) That's incredible. Wow. All right. Well, that that is not at all what I expected to talk about, but very fascinating. Very fascinating. Okay. So um, actually, let's start with the book, um, Unreasonable Hospitality. Uh, I I read that book over the holiday because, I've again, it's been on my list. You had told me a long time ago to read it, um, and I saw it in The Bear. So it's, you know, um, one of the characters is reading it in The Bear. Uh, and that, and I was like, oh, yeah, I've got to read that. And it blew me away. I think I read it in two and a half days. I couldn't put it down. So, well, I I guess you could give the quick high level of it. And then I want to hear, um, you know, from someone inside the industry, is this book everybody loves, everybody hates? You know, how, how does that go down in, in your world? Well, yeah. So I I was familiar with Will because he was actually a classmate of mine at Cornell in the hospitality program. We weren't there at the same time, but we had a lot of the same teachers. And then I knew about him as he started um, becoming successful uh, in his own right with 11 Madison Park. And 
I'd actually dined at 11 Madison Park when it was Danny Meyer's restaurant just after they had gotten the uh, the four stars from the New York New York Times, which was huge for them at the time. It really put that restaurant on the map and it put Daniel Hume and Will, the combo of those two, um, at a whole nother level. And one of my friends and classmates was actually their GM. He was the one mentioned in the book. What's um, his name? So, um, why am I drawing a blank? Okay, well, we'll figure it out. Yeah, yeah, but I do remember yeah. the GM they mentioned, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the GM that he was like concerned about, um, mm-hmm. you know, promoting too early. And so, um, yeah. yeah, that that was a, a classmate of mine. And, and how um, was the experience, by the way? Oh, I mean, back then when they when they had first gotten the four stars, I mean, it was incredible. Um, really? And it's such a small, small world. That night that I was dining there, Christiane Lauterbach, the... Atlanta Magazine critic for many years was dining there that same night. Um, she's also the one who gave Mujo the perfect review uh, last year. So we, you know, it's the the food media so circles are are very small. Yeah. Um, so yeah. yeah. Oh, uh, Kirk Kirk was the name of the GM. Okay. Um, so anyway, and I've since kept in touch with him. He works in hotels now um, after he moved on from from that company. Yeah. So and so the book tells Will's, you know, sort of career journey, but specifically making um, that restaurant, I guess, the best restaurant in the world. It, it won that ranking. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's a, and his focus was, if I if I can state it right, was to essentially match the the dining, um, the, the, the actual food that the chef prepares as being like the star, but match the hospitality that the restaurant provides with that. And so he had Daniel as as the chef, and so they had this great food, and and he thought they could differentiate around the hospitality. And according, you know, according to the book, they did. And some of the things they mentioned, it's just unbelievable. Um, is that? I mean, is that the case? Like you felt like they did that, or? Well, I think one of the things that is even kind of taking a step back from that point is like they set a goal for themselves and the restaurant that they wanted to be considered number one as measured by this 50 best restaurants in the world list. And so they were going to do things intentionally to work their way up that list. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an important point to note that with every restaurant or any business that you open, like what's the end in sight? Like where, where do we want to go? Like what are, what are the things that are going to mark us as like a success? And for every business that's different, there's, you know, KPIs or in in the restaurant, it's unique because in fine dining, there are specific like awards and things that you want to achieve with a restaurant. And that can sometimes mean financial success. And sometimes it doesn't mean financial success. So uh, I think that's a, a unique part of what makes the restaurant business and especially at the fine dining level so unique. But it's similar to any like kind of artistic pursuit where there is that commercial success and then there's the critical uh, acclaim. And so you see that with movies or books or music, you know, where sometimes the, you know, creative pursuit yields something that is critically successful, but not financially successful or uh, vice versa. And so that's, I think, what makes the restaurant business kind of like similar to those other professions, except, um, it's much more of a grind and much less glamorous. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> well, you, you see that in the bear, um, which again, we'll get to in a minute. 
I, a couple more questions about this book. I, I'm having my teams at my companies read it. Um, I think one of them in particular, it could, I mean, it could revolutionize the company if we could get people thinking along those lines. You know, do you feel that way about it? Like, again, like sometimes if you're in the industry, you might read it and, you know, you're like, oh, that didn't really happen or that's not how I would do it. But is it is it a powerful book for you? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, for me, this is the lens through which we kind of view our business as well. And not just at the ultra fine dining restaurants. It's like, how do we institutionalize the concept of hospitality? And for us, we we talk about sincere hospitality is one of our core values since 2010. Um, and the concept of that, like combining authenticity with hospitality. So, you know, for many years, I don't know, you remember that movie waiting, but where the server goes and puts a smile on the face and like tells the guests about, you know, the special or whatever. And then she goes in the back and she's like, F this, F that, these people oh, are so, right. you know what I mean? That kind of thing. And so it's, uh, and every restaurant person knows that person or has been that person at one point in their career. And so I think the concept of like the authenticity behind the hospitality is an important piece of it um, because you can't fake it for very long. Um, and so that's something that we've like really worked on for over a decade to try to um, imbue into our culture uh, in every aspect of what we do. And so that that to me is why it resonates for our team. And I think the way that he comes at it, the concept of kind of unreasonable hospitality is an interesting one. And I think that getting your people to think about how to deliver that level of thoughtfulness and care to the customer is 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 pretty amazing. Um, and so how, how do you do that? But And how do you make that part of your culture? I think that's the, the most important part. Yeah, I love it. Um, and you get that, I mean, like, I'm trying not to pander because I'm such a fan of your restaurants, but like, I get that. Like we, we go to, I think, um, the one we go to the most is double zero. Cause it's kind of close to us. Um, we've had several big family meals there. I've gone on date nights there. Um, and they're always great. I mean, like the, the they are, um, and, and I like the idea of authentic, um, because you're right. Like as he pushed in the book to get to that number one ranking and pushed for unreasonable hospitality unreasonable hospitality. He didn't talk a ton about how he motivated the rest of the team to feel that way. It was mm -hmm. just, Hey, we're all on this train, but really it was important to those two guys the most. So I do wonder how, you know, through those years, how everybody thought about that. Yeah, no doubt. I think that for me, we grew pretty quickly out the gate. Like when I took over the first restaurant, reopened it after it had closed there it, it was it was very much a struggle um but i realized that through like sheer force of will in a single unit business you can shape the guest experience to be whatever you want it to be the challenge is when you get to that second location mm. now you're not in charge of every single guest experience in the building every day um and so he probably didn't spend that much time thinking about that because he didn't have to when he was the one directing that day in and day out. 
Um, it's when you get to a second location or a third or a fourth or a fifth. And like, how do you create a culture that can travel to another state and be established there? And so that that becomes the 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 real challenge of growing any business and scale inevitably erodes quality. Like doesn't matter who you are, you will have quality challenges as you scale. And it's how you how well you manage those cha- those challenges and how quickly you fix them and make them better on your way up to that next step. Yeah. Yeah. And you're you're growing pretty nicely right now into other markets. So I know you're you're in the middle of dealing with that. Um, okay. I, I do want to get to this show um because it was the main reason I hit you up. Uh the bear, um, I don't know. This, several people had recommended it to me over over, I don't know, the last couple of years. And I just I don't know. I, I didn't really know what it was about. So I just kind of pushed it off, pushed it off. And then I watched one episode and I was immediately hooked. Now, when I reached out to you about talking about it, um, you, you had said that it triggered you, um, I guess from your past. So I, I don't want to go into areas that, that make you upset, but I'll just give the quick overview. So, so it's, it's the, it's a, it's a drama. I mean, it's listed as a comedy. I mean, there's certainly there's funny parts, but seems to me it's a drama drama doesn't seem funny to me right <laughs> right right so it's about this this chef uh becoming restaurateur um and and their his journey with this this team um you know all the makings of trying to redesign a restaurant or figure one out or whatever um i find it to be incredible that it's just so i think so well written so well acted i think uh like yesterday it just cleaned up uh, along with my other favorite show. So Succession is my favorite show of all time. Same. Like number one, same. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to see Jeremy Strong in February. Uh, he's uh, an opening night at a play he's doing because my son's incredible. at NYU. Can't wait. Absolutely um, so, but the bear I think is number two. Like I've, I'm now yeah. watching it for the second time. Um, so, so let me start with this. What do you think about the show? Yeah. So, I mean, it does a really good job of documenting what it's like to be running a restaurant on the brink when um, every day is a is a grind and an absolute challenge just to get through to the end of the day. Um, what it doesn't do as well, and maybe they get to it in the second season, is what it's like to be at a, um, a restaurant that is successful and is going well and does have a good culture and a good team. And I think that there have been chefs that have been vocal about um, disliking the way that it portrays our industry because, you know, it does portray some of those more nasty, challenging parts of it. But at the same time, I, I do think it does a great job of, you know, portraying the reality of what it's like to be in a business like that, um, where you're striving to get better, um, yet the realities of the situation keep pulling you down. Mm. Yeah, well, that that was one thing I wanted to ask is like, what is what does the industry think about it? I, I remember when ER was on back in the day. I don't know, maybe it's still on. Those shows seem to go on forever. Yeah. Um, but one of my cousins was a doctor, and he said they would all get together and watch every whatever Thursday or Friday night together. And, you know, they would make fun of some stuff, but they loved it. And I wondered, like, you know, how do you how do you and the other people doing this think about this show? Yeah, I think that most of us don't watch it. Okay. <laughs> uh, and I think that the it's it's for, you know, the aforementioned reasons, which mm-hmm. is that when you're done with a long day at work, you don't want to relive it, you know, <laughs> right. in that particular way. And it's just it reminds you of things that you'd rather not remember. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I've heard I've heard the next season's a little bit sunnier, a little bit better in that regard. So I, I would say so. I would yeah. say so. I mean, still the manic um, problem solving, uh, you know, all that happens. But yeah, I think there's some there's some there's some feel good moments for sure in that. Uh, <laughs> um, and I think they had like so like some questions I have. So like when they're cutting, when they're doing their prep work, when they're that stuff's pretty. You think they did a pretty good job nailing how it actually oh, is. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, definitely. Cause I think the lead star, um, I can't, he, he, I believe goes and trains. Like, I think right now he's training for season three, like at a restaurant, like in the back. That's super cool. I didn't know that, but yeah, they, they do a good job of, of really researching it and, and having the right people involved to make sure that yeah. it feels like it's real. So your, your journey, um, what parts of that like I think about all the different roles that are in, like, I don't, I don't actually know to the extent that you've done how much chef work you've done um, mm -hmm. at all. Like, I don't, I don't know your background there. Yeah. So I grew up working in kitchens. So my first job was at an, as an apprentice baker in Federal Hill and like the Italian neighborhood of uh, Providence, Rhode Island. And so almost all my experience through college was in culinary. Um, so I didn't go to culinary school, but I worked in kitchens all the way through college, including at Cornell. I worked in their hotel kitchen and their high-end restaurant on campus that was part of the hotel school. And, and then previous to that, I was always a, a line cook, or I was actually managing the kitchen at mm -hmm. one of my family's restaurants in Atlanta in the suburbs. So we had a restaurant in Alpharetta called the Roasted Garlic, and that was our first family restaurant after my dad moved down to Atlanta, he had lost everything in the restaurant business in Rhode Island and then moved the family down three kids, a dog and a cat and a Volvo station wagon started over. And that first restaurant that we opened in Atlanta, I think he convinced another uh, family to give us 20 grand or 30 grand, something like that to open the first restaurant. And he found this terrible location in Alpharetta shopping center. That was just, it was awful, but it was already a restaurant. So we could go in and um, fix it up a little bit and reopen it. And so my dad and I were the only two line cooks when we opened that restaurant. So wow. he and I worked um, open to close every day. We opened it over summer. So I was out of school. So we worked open to close every day. Um, and then I would do the clean down of the entire kitchen, including washing dishes at the end of the night, um, with whoever else was there. Cause we didn't have a dishwasher. And then, uh, then school started the next year I was in high school and I worked six nights a week, um, uh, as a saute cook and like running the running the line, paying all of the other kitchen employees that we finally hired under the table in cash. And um, <laughs> it was just like the ultimate, mm. like family mom and pop restaurant. And so that's what I grew up knowing. And then um, we started Sugo after that, just when I had um, gone to college and Sugo was our um, kind of like the roasted garlic 2.0, where basically it was just, us with without partners anymore mm -hmm. and it went extremely poorly out the gate so another really poor choice of location and then the results just weren't there and it was an absolute struggle i remember um being home from college and 
you know, working constantly. And then, you know, we were bouncing checks, you know, daily, you know, so there was just vendors and employees constantly coming in asking when they were getting paid. And um, we had our computer system repossessed in the restaurant, like during um, while we were there one day. Um, just like came in and just like snuck in there, took the computer system and left. And like, then we had to figure out how to run a restaurant without a a computer system or credit card processing. I mean, that, that could be a scene in the bear. I mean, that right there is like, (laughs) could could easily. Um, and you know, I mean, it's just like the craziest things that happen in restaurants, uh, when they're like, when you're struggling and on the brink. And then, um, when I, came when I graduated from college, I took over um, one of the locations that we had set up as a, as a franchise that had, had failed. So we started franchising a concept that wasn't working. (laughs) So it was kind of like a house of cards to begin with. Um, And so we had these locations set up and they all started failing one by one. And so when I got out of school, um, I took over one of the ones that had failed um, and made that my my first project and as you know, how, how was I going to turn this business into something interesting and successful, how, you know, and try to turn it around. And so at that time we had the original location in Roswell and then the one in Johns Creek, which is the only one left, which is the one that I was the the GM and chef and all of it, you know? So we had, I had three servers and three line cooks and me, and that was the whole crew when I first got started. So, um, that the moments in the bear when he first takes over the, yeah. the you know the old the restaurant from his deceased brother uh definitely rings true for me like reopening that restaurant and trying to make it successful and you know make sure the guest experience is great and all the drama that comes through when you i mean it's it's like when you there were days where you'd work open till close like a 16 hour day and you'd wake up in the morning and you'd have like less money in your bank account than you did the day before and like bouncing checks and Mm. trying to figure out how you're going to get a team in there and get open for service. And then people start walking through the door and then you have to put a smile on your face. And then you have to like take care of those guests as if your like livelihood depends on it, which it does, you know? And so that was kind of the, the most challenging um, out the gate. And then once I started seeing results, that was kind of like energizing. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that's where like the hospitality element comes in because, and our mission statement, which is passionately pursuing the perfect dining experience, one guest at a time, which the one guest at a time was really very accurate because we've had very few guests. Like there yeah. were nights when we would have six people come in and like four of those were friends that I had called in uh, to make sure we didn't roll a zero because there's nothing more demoralizing than rolling a zero. Um, I can say that we officially never rolled a zero, but it was very close a couple of times. And so those like moments really shaped my business philosophy out the gate. And what I realized is that people wouldn't necessarily remember every like dish or piece of food that they had, but they remembered how they were made to feel after the experience and the relationships that I was able to develop one-on-one, one at a time, were really what built that business. And so I would see people coming back and we would recognize them and I would follow up and I'd email them and thank them for coming in and think of ways to make their experience special. And like Will talks about in Unreasonable Hospitality, is like you can do these really cool things for people 
without having to like spend a lot of money. And so, um, you know, thinking about how to like go above and beyond for a proposal and do something really creative and different. And it really just takes creativity and and thoughtfulness. And so um, that was what I built the the first business on. And then just seeing the results start to accumulate where it's like, okay, six covers turns into 20, turns into 50, turns into 100, turns into 200, 300. Uh, And so you start seeing those results kind of grow, even in a location that is by any um, stretch of the imagination, really bad. Um, So, you know, we're 45 minutes outside of Atlanta on the backside of a shopping center on a four lane divided highway. Uh, There's no reason that any business, any restaurant would be successful there. And so uh, it's just a testament to like the philosophy of taking care of each individual guest and that the hospitality and building on that consistently over long periods of time. How long did it take to, to, you know, turn that one around? Do you think? So I set an initial goal of 15,000 a week. I knew we could, uh, we could break even at 15,000 a week. We were doing eight. And in a 5,000 square foot full service restaurant, $8,000 is like a, a okay Monday or Tuesday for mm. one of our restaurants now. Mm. And so it was, we were, we were very far from being successful and by any stretch. And so I knew based on the cost cutting measures that I had put in place, I had put our family on the austerity plan, which was um, we don't go to Starbucks because we have coffee at the restaurant at wholesale. So, you know, we don't eat meals outside of the restaurant other than, um, and, and when we do, we eat the food that's about to go bad that we wouldn't serve to the customers. So like that was the level, like the austerity had to be on a personal level and on a business level in order to get the, the break even number low. Um, as low as humanly possible so that we could stop bouncing checks. That was like, I knew we could get to 15K a week and I could stop bouncing checks if I did that. And so um, it took me about six months to do that. Um, And so, and then from there, I knew that with the trajectory we were on that we would start making like a little bit of money, but I knew that the getting from that point to a very successful business was going to take many years. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I took the risk of signing another lease for the Decatur Square location of Iberian Pig in 2009. And that was really the move that kind of set us on the growth trajectory we were on now. You And you, I think we've talked about this before, but like, what was there a point when you're like, I don't know about this industry for me, I want to do something different? Oh, for sure. I think I went to Cornell under that uh, expectation. Yeah. So I had grown up working every night and weekend in the family business, and I wanted to have fun and do fun stuff and, you know, have like a normal white collar job. And I think I got there and it totally changed my opinion of the industry. And I saw that like there was there was a way to do this successfully. There was a way to do this professionally. There was a way to do this that wasn't the bear, you know, mm-hmm. and uh so I started just like learning and getting to know people and um, listening to like professors and seeing other successful people do it. We had a class there called guest chefs where um, chefs from all over the country would come in and they we'd do a dinner with them. So like students would actually help cook and serve all the food and um, sell tickets to these dinners. And 
you know, Michael Mina was one that um, was there when I was there and he's just had a tremendous amount of success. I don't know if you know Michael Mina, but um, he's one of the most famous chefs on the West Coast in San Francisco, um, partnered with Steph Curry and Aisha Curry and has one concept with them and has um, a number of other Michelin star concepts, Vegas, all over the country. He's been tremendously successful. Um, he's got bourbon steak all over the place. There's, you know, just a whole group of, of restaurants. He's one of the best in the industry, um, for what we do. And, you know, I got some one-on-one time with him and also with his top leadership team. And I could just see what they were doing and how they were approaching it. And, um, the son of the founder of Houston's Hillstone, uh, was, uh, one grade removed from me. And I, I get to see how they recruited and how they approach their personnel and my friends that went and worked for them and the level of, you know, scrutiny to the details that they had was like on a whole nother level. So I just got opened up to this whole world of um, what success looked like. Mm-hmm. And so I, I re- and I realized very quickly that like the path for me was like either food and beverage in some form or fashion or consulting banking like those were basically like the tracks that people went on um and i i learned really fast that i was not into the banking or consulting stuff it just wasn't for me and and it was and they and nothing against people who do that but like those people weren't my people you know i like these people over here like these were my people this is these these are people i got along with so um it became pretty clear to me that that was where i belonged and that there was a way to move forward that was not what i had experienced growing up cornell is one of the best if not the best programs for food and beverage careers right for sure um you you kind of i mean were you hedging your bets by going there like or was it just luck happenstance that you ended up i was hedging hedging my bets because i wasn't sure that i was like completely done with food and beverage but i knew that like if i went to cornell i could get a great degree there and i could probably get a good job so and i knew that i was done with arts and sciences as soon as i graduated from high school i was like i never want to see another math or history class again (laughs) so i i knew that i was going to go somewhere that had like a very applicable um you know study got it okay um, before I forget to ask, um, I, I do want to know, are there other movies that you recommend about the industry that you've liked? And, and also I go back to the book on reasonable hospitality. Are there other books I need to read uh, that have to do? With I mean, the, the original yeah. Anthony Bourdain book is mm-hmm. still confidential. It's still one of the, one of the it's best, unbelievable. Kind of like pioneered the entire genre and also the kind of celebrity chef mm-hmm. kind of culture. Um, did you, you ever know, meet him? I did actually. I, um, one of my, probably the, one of the coolest moments of my life, I get to share, uh, a glass of Pappy Van Winkle with him on his, on his tour. Um, back when he was in Atlanta, we catered his event backstage. So we got to, um, my general manager at the time was, uh, smart enough to bring a bottle of Pappy and kind of, uh, get a moment with him. So there was just like the, the three or four of us with Anthony Bourdain for like, you got a picture of that. We do. Uh, Yeah, we do. I would love to see that. Uh, That's amazing. Okay. So Bourdain's yeah, he's the king. Like the confidential is amazing. What what else? You know, I I think that, and I've recommended this one too, is, 
you know, Danny Meyer's book is great as well. He's, Setting he's the table. Setting right? the table. Yeah. I mean, he basically set the table for Will's book, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was his uh, mentor. And, you know, I'm trying to think of like some others. The Marco Pierre White book is good. Um, there's Jose Andres's books are good. You know, I'm a huge fan of Jose Andres, especially because, you know, Spanish cuisine and uh, also just his humanitarian work is incredible as well. He's just like probably the the leading person in our industry period right now. So I okay. always um, promote Jose because he's incredible. I'll look that up. What about what about shows or movies? Like, I think there was one with Bradley Cooper, right? Where he yeah, yeah, yeah. And that one wasn't bad. I, okay. I like that. I, it got kind of panned by the media, but I, I thought it was, it was, it was totally fine. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, Ratatouille, everybody loves yeah. Ratatouille um, <laughs> everybody and, loves they, it. and it's, and it's well-researched for sure. So I feel like that's always a good All one right. too. I got a couple, a uh, couple of random things before we end here. Um, one of the things in the show that Carmi, Carmen, the, the lead character is particular about is cut the tape, having the tape cut straight versus ripped. Is that a thing? Yeah. Yeah. Some chefs are really into that okay. for sure. But basically for those who haven't seen it, when they, when they label like containers and stuff, you, you know, you'd use a Sharpie and you'd write like, you know, whatever uh-huh. kind of meat or something and you'd tape it on with the date and he wanted everything cut straight, you know, the, yep. no rips. Yeah. That's like the, uh, when you're on expo, like when you punch a ticket and means that like the ticket is like done, that's been sold there are some people that want all those tickets just like lined up on the puncher, like the exact What's expo. What do you mean? Like expediter. It's basically the air traffic control for the kitchen. Oh, okay. So that's like the, uh, or like the conductor of the symphony. And usually yeah. it's the chef or that's running that position. If the, if the chef's not like on the line cooking, which is typically rare. So that, that position is typically occupied by one of the chefs. Okay. All right. I was curious about that. Um, when, so my wife does most of the cooking in our house, but I'm like the sous chef, but so is my, um, 13 year old daughter. Um, and so in the, in the kitchen in our little kitchen, um, I, whenever I was going behind my wife, I would always just put my hand on her back just so she'd know. But then I've learned in, in the show, they say behind. Behind always. Yeah. <laughs> now we say behind yep. in corner. We say, yep. we, we say corner yep. behind. Um, so we don't hit each other. And then, um, my favorite is yes, chef, no chef. You know, is that yeah. a thing? Cause in, so in the, in the show, Carmi um, gets everyone to start saying yes, chef, no chef, yeah. instead of just, you know, hollering back and forth. Cause it's a sign of respect to him. I didn't exactly. know if that was a thing. It is definitely a thing in certain types of restaurants. You see the, the kind of the slang for that now is just heard. Heard. Oh, that's in the show too. They say heard. Yeah. 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 So I got it. Herd is real. Exactly. (laughs) Except my wife hates when I do that. So we don't do that around the house anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Got it. Got it. Um, and then, uh, I, I did see this on Reddit randomly. This is super, super random, but they, there were people talking about the show and how realistic or not realistic. And I guess in one scene, Carmen goes outside and he throws some cardboard boxes into the trash bin, but he doesn't break them down first. Yeah. And people went nuts about that. Yeah. <laughs> is that, is that a thing? It is a thing. Yeah. You don't, you don't just throw boxes into the trash like that. Um, I mean, of course 
people do if you know because they're sloppy and they don't they aren't trained properly but yeah you always break down boxes yeah yeah there, there were people in the thread trying to go well it was outside of the restaurant so he you know he only cared and they're like no when you're trained for 15 years in the industry you break down but he said they were talking about even at home they're like i break the boxes down oh, yeah home. we're at home i'm like a, a stickler about it like i'm like guys <laughs> what are we doing here we have to break these boxes down it's so funny <laughs> Um, okay. So I'll end with this. Um, I think part of the reason I have really enjoyed, I really enjoyed unreasonable hospitality for the message and, and, and the sentiment of it, but I also enjoyed the entrepreneurial story that he, he tells same reason I like setting the table, same reason I liked kitchen confidential to hear those sort of gritty, just to hear your stories today. It's why I think I really like the bear because it is an entrepreneurial journey in the middle of the whole thing, because um, he's trying to build this business, much like you were with the first one you took over. So I guess my question for you is like, what are two or three of the characteristics if somebody's listening to this and they're maybe they're you know in college or just out or they think they want to go into this industry and build a career, what are some of the attributes they you think they will need to have in order to be successful? Well, one of the things I thought was interesting in, in Will's book that uh, we didn't touch on is like that concept of restaurant smart versus corporate smart. And really what he's getting at there is like the the art and commerce, you yeah. know, and there's the, the commerce piece of it um, is important because we have to run a profitable business in order to sur survive. And so most people get enamored with the art and like that's what drives them and that's the passion that drives them to make um a, a business and or be an entrepreneur you know and and i think that goes for every business it does not just the restaurant business but there is an element of art to every single new creation of a business it's just it's a creative idea it's a creative endeavor and as an entrepreneur you're envisioning a future that does not yet exist and so you're making decisions to try to make that future reality um and so i think it's important to to recognize that that there should be um, both sides are represented, mm -hmm. um, but it, you can't let the commerce get in the way of creating good art, because if you go out with this idea of how can we make the most amount of money, oftentimes the art suffers and you fail. And every every time that I've gone into a new business endeavor with the thought process of how much money are we going to make or how can we maximize our return? Um, usually it ends poorly. When I come with an idea that I'm extremely passionate about and uh, we'll figure out how to make money once that idea is its best self, um, that's usually when the magic happens. Mm. Um, is is like there's, so you can't ignore one and for the other, and I say that, and I, and this is true of almost every single game changing product or company, it sits at this like intersection of art and commerce. Mm. And so the people who've done that and you name them all of them, like Steve jobs or Elon or like any of these guys, like what makes their business successful is like, what makes the, the first Tesla successful is it was a beautiful car. Is a piece of art, you know, at the end of the day, they figured out a, a way to make electric vehicles sexy and, and therefore there was commerce that happened there. Mm -hmm. But like, that is like really the, the epicenter of it. Like the iPhone is a beautiful device. The first iPhone was a beautiful device, 
the first iMac was a beautiful device. And so um, when you can do that, then um, those are when that the the commerce piece of it can really take off. Yeah. And I, and I, I think um, hearing your story, um, perseverance seems like it has to be a trait. It's funny. I was talking to a friend of mine who's an entrepreneur who was, he wants, he's writing a blog post and he was like, what do you think the characteristics are of a successful entrepreneur? And he had a bunch of great stuff. And I said, well, I think, you know, maybe, maybe more than all that is perseverance. Like you probably, right. You probably should have shut the restaurant down that you were talking about that took you six months every day for four months. You know, like the business plan would have been, okay, we're shutting this down now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and I I went further and further into debt. Like I took out high interest credit card receivable loans, maxed out credit cards, 100% interest, 200% interest loans, like basically what amounts to legal loan sharking. Like the, the belief that you have in yourself to like get through to the other side and like be dealt setback after setback after setback um, to keep going and just finding some silver lining each and every day to be able to just like get up and do it over again um, and just not stop. I think that is, is gotta be number one, you know, for, for any successful entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I I had the same thing in my journey um, early on first, eight years were like that. I had so many credit cards. I was juggling one to the next moving, you know, 0% interest, all that transfer. Yeah. It was not good. (laughs) Yeah, I know. And even when we became successful, you know, it was a struggle to like get the, all the businesses on the same page. I mean, I would go to like one bank, pull out cash to another bank to put the cash over there. Like it was just like this shell game, you know, (laughs) I was constantly running on like a daily, weekly basis. And so, um, It just, and it takes a long, it takes time, you know, there's just like overnight success is, is really not, not a real thing. (laughs) No, it's very much not. Um, Fred, thanks for, thanks for chatting with me. I really appreciate it. Um, as I said, I'm obsessed with, I'm obsessed with your industry right now. So I'm going to look up the books you mentioned. Um, I'm, I'm rewatching the bear. You need to watch season two. Um, I think you'll be happier <laughs> after reading it. Just like I tell all my friends, uh, before you invest in a restaurant, please call me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I, yeah. Don't invest in a restaurant until you've talked to me. <laughs> Perfect. Um, okay, man. Well, I hope to see you soon and thanks for joining me. Thank you. Great to see you. Wow, you made it to the end of the podcast. I didn't think people did that anymore. Well, since I still have you, I'd love for you to do two things. First, subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. That way you'll be alerted as soon as I post my next one. And second, I'd love for you to subscribe to my email newsletter. I send out an email every week or two, and it's really where I share my more personal thoughts and ideas. Plus, I give stuff away sometimes. You can find the sign up at my blog, jeffhillemeyer.com. And I really do appreciate you listening.